to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So, let's live our best lives, one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi, everybody. We are so glad that you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing great today. I got to spend all day outside yesterday, which, you know, that just really recharges me and gets me happy. Well, you know why I'm happy. I think I'm ready to talk about it. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday, I spent the day driving back from the beach because we are moving to the beach. And I'm so excited. I can't believe that we're doing it. Yeah, Chad officially filed his retirement paperwork yesterday. So it's no longer a secret. Yeah, he's retiring. And I have somehow convinced him to sell our house and move, move to the beach. So we're moving to Surfside Beach. We found a house that's going to be our new permanent residence, and I can't wait. We're downsizing by a lot. Who found the house? Okay. Sherry (laughs) found the house. (laughs) I knew that was going to come up. (laughs) Sherry found the house. Like, I was having a very disappointing time, and we lost out on one. One we we were under contract for, and the home inspection wasn't really scary. And then we've had one, and we lost out on it. And I was giving up, and everything was... You know, I was looking at everything that came on the market, and this one I had already like said no to in my mind because I didn't think I liked the neighborhood that it was in. But then Sherry sent it to me, so I woke up. I was going to go look at some houses that day, and they were not really houses I was excited about. And I woke up to Sherry's message that said, what about this one? And I think the first thing I said was, I don't think I like that neighborhood. Well, yeah, because I said, I don't think this is your typical, like, something you would look at, but I really think you should look at it because of this, this, and this. And then you said, I don't know, it's this kind of neighborhood. Yeah. But then you found YouTube videos and... Yeah, I started researching the neighborhood and it wasn't exactly what I thought, but it's built in and they're really close together. We actually have the best lot in there, though, because it's like a little pie-shaped wedge looking over mm-hmm. this little pond. So it's, it's the biggest one, I think, in there, but... All of them in our little part of the neighborhood look exactly alike, but they're different colors. Yeah. But it looks like the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So it looks so beachy, but it's not on the flood zone. So we don't have to have flood insurance. It doesn't flood during Great. a hurricane. So that's really good. And it's got like hurricane shutters and a metal roof and all this. It's like really been cared for. And it's got all the rooms we need, but we're downsizing from 4,900 square feet to 2,700 square feet. Yep. But it has all the rooms that are just smaller. Like instead of a giant living room that we have that's way too big, it's it's a normal size living room. <laughs> it's got really the same number of bedrooms and everything that we're going to need. So I'm so excited. And today, okay, this is a life lesson to share with everybody. The idea of downsizing and moving was making me want to freak out because like, what am I going to do with all this furniture that isn't going to fit into this house? We're having it's like an estate sale company that also does like moving downsizing. They came over this morning. It's a lady and her daughter-in-law that run it and they have like really successful sales. So we're just going to like pack up everything we want to take and then walk away. And anything that's left, they're going to sell. Everything. Like, we have these pine cones in the fireplace that are decorative. And they're like, we can sell those. I'm like, what? (laughs) I mean, they're going to sell everything, Sherry. That's Everything, yes. And so it's like so much freedom. And like I told Chad, I'm like, you just pack up whatever you want to take. And if he doesn't pack it up, I don't have to do anything with it. They sell like half-used bottles of cleaners. I mean, whatever. They sell everything. Really? All the way from like a... The boat. We have a boat that we don't ever use. They can sell the boat. I mean, everything. Wow. They said, we will get you more for this boat than you would have gotten if you'd have taken it to the boat dealer and traded it in. Really? Yes. That is great. And you can put minimums on things. But 
it's just fantastic. So they get a percentage, but we don't have to do anything. Like some of the furniture that we bought for this house, we bought some vintage furniture. I've talked about that before. But I have these two, you know, my two china cabinets that are in the living room. Mm -hmm. They're the Asian. And I'm like, you know, just for example, how much would you price those at? They priced them exactly at what we paid for it. Oh. So they're going to sell them for the amount. I mean, they're going to get a portion of it. But, oh, my gosh. Like, it's such a relief. I'm so happy. I'm so excited to be simplifying and downsizing. Right. We're going to yeah. have less stuff. And I'm like, can I get rid of this? Can I get rid of that? Chad's like, sure, which I can't believe. So, <laughs> yay. We'll see. Anyway, it's going to be very stressful. We haven't sold our house yet. It's been on the market for not quite a month, but almost a month, which is in this market. And Augusta is a little different because things really take off after Masters. But I was talking to my realtor today. Do you know what the, the problem is with our house that people are saying is the reason? No. The little pool. Really? The little pool. They're like, we want a bigger pool. That pool's not big enough. And I specifically chose a little pool because the big pool was crazy to keep up with. And I'd been reading about container pools and people were putting in smaller pools. And it sounded like such a dream. And it is so easy to take care of and heat and Anyway, and people don't like the little pool. The little pool, the trend of having a little pool has not taken off in Augusta yet. Oh, well. It's the little pool. I wonder, it's such a large house. I wonder if people are envisioning, you know, having backyard barbecues with pool party and... I mean, I don't know. What are you doing in the pool? When we had all all of y'all were here for the moderator retreat, we all got in the pool. We just stood, stood around, around in the pool. So <laughs> I chose a pool that had a bench that goes all the way across. Uh-huh. Like, like you're sitting at the bar. It's almost like right. a swim-up bar. So you can bring you your drinks. And so I don't know. I mean, the kids are not going to be like, you know, having water races in it. But right, you just don't know. Anyway, if anybody's thinking about resale, put in a bigger pool. That's my tip. Or no pool. If I could go back, maybe I wouldn't put in a pool at all. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they would have had a blank canvas. Yeah, they would have had a blank canvas. Anyway, you live and you learn. And yep. Yeah, well, the right person will come along. And I hope they come along soon. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, now it's time for our weekly good news segment. Renee wants to give a shout out to an amazing small business, June Moon Spice Company. She wrote, June Moon specializes in popcorn seasonings, sauces, and spices. I've recently come to know the owners, and they are some of the hardest working people I've ever met. This husband and wife team have run their business single-handedly for the past three and a half years while simultaneously dealing with some significant life events, a breast cancer diagnosis requiring surgery, chemo, and radiation, a tragic motorcycle accident involving their oldest child leading to months of rehabilitation, and then a brain cancer diagnosis and untimely death of a parent. All of this while also navigating a global pandemic and the challenges with that and trying to keep a small business afloat. Nevertheless, the owners of June Moon continue to work seven days a week with a smile on their face while never complaining. They persevere for the love of their business and the dream of being entrepreneurs. They take pride in their products, and it's just been so eye-opening to me to see all that goes into small business ownership. I encourage everyone to support the small businesses in your own communities whenever you can. Also, check out June Moon on Amazon or online for your spice and sauce needs. Well, thank you so very much, Renee. So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And today I want to talk about Beauty Counter. They have a new product that I love. It's called the Reflect Effect HA exfoliating facial mask and it's designed to transform dull tired skin in just 10 minutes it's sort of a bouncy gel formula and it's supercharged with a unique blend of chemical and physical exfoliants like aha glycolic acid and bamboo particles plus it has hydration boosting ingredients to soothe skin for an ultra soft complexion you can use it up to twice a week for effective results my skin, I felt like was getting a little dull. It's the end of winter and yeah, and I used it and I just felt like the next day my skin was just soft and clear and more glowy. I haven't used it yet. I have some. I'll have to get mine out. I don't know if glowy is a word, but I made it the up. word, glowy. <laughs> you do look very glowy. And they have this great tool you can use to put it on with. 
and it's got like a kind of like a little spatula and you oh. use it to put it on. So you're not wasting a bunch on your like fingers. On your fingers. Okay. You put it on the little spatula and smooth it on your skin. And then on the opposite end, there's like a little bristly scrubber. So when you go to take it off, you wet it and you scrub it with the bristles. Oh, that sounds and cool. And then the other side of it have these little massaging nubs and you can use it all over your face anytime. I actually put my toner on with it. Okay. And, like massage it and it actually like opens up your skin to accept moisturizers and serums better. Oh. Yeah. So you can use it like every day. I use it before bed a lot. Yeah. It's got little massaging nubs. Well, your skin looks amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Anyway, you can find out more by visiting beautycounter.com slash Sherry Bullock, S-H-E-R-I-B-U-L-L-O-C-K. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are joined by Alex Becker, a man who holds 11 patents, was recently named one of MIT's top 100 alumni. He is a scientist, inventor, speaker, and an entrepreneur who has recently written a book called 101 Clues to a Happy Life. Welcome, Alex. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, this sounds like a fascinating topic, and I'm so excited to hear about <laughs> the happy life. We talk a lot about like living your best life and just any like topics that cover like growth and like really making you think about what you're doing with your life and how you could make small tweaks to get, you know, more from your life. So this fit right in with our um, kind of agenda. Just tell our listeners a little bit about you and your background. I was born and raised in Argentina. I uh, moved to the U.S. to go to MIT. Then I drove across the country, settled in California to get a PhD in neuroscience at Caltech. I um, spent three years directing a research group at the interface between biology, mathematics, computation, and information, and then started inventing things and decided to leave the fun job in academia to start a company around one of my inventions and started uh, a company called Adapt Technologies and then started another company called Qlist that eliminated weight in line for hundreds of millions of weights country. And then more recently started a company called Drizit that is a platform for uh, that allows people to fly a drone remotely from anywhere. Wow. And I have three kids. They recently turned 18 and 21, the two eldest, and I thought I I needed to put some of the lessons I've learned throughout my life uh, in writing for them. And that's how 101 Clues to a Happy Life came about. So this was a guidebook for your kids. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And I love that a scientist and an inventor is writing about having a happy life. I'm married to a, a PhD medicinal chemist, and I have a son who's a computer programmer, went to Georgia Tech, and he actually is out in San Francisco doing computer programming. But I love when there's the intersection between science and life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we also talk a lot about balance. And sometimes people, especially people who are in like science fields, they get really stuck in that, that world and everything becomes like super analytical and they get immersed in data. And like they, I feel like a lot of times don't have good balance and like they don't know how to take life, which you can't always quantify and qualify. And get out of the lab and into in real life and like make it mingle. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think balance is really important. In fact, there's a clue in the in the book about that, and it's called the law of diminishing returns. You know, and it says that you know you get more out of your first day at something than you get out of the next day. And so, if you're spending 100% of your life doing one thing, you're just not getting as much out of it as if you were spreading and balancing it out better. That's huge. That You're right. Huge. Wow. It's not like it immediately made me think about eating, right? Like diminishing returns when you're having your favorite food and you have your first bite and it's amazing. But by the time you get to the 10th bite, not as exciting anymore. So thinking about life in the same way. Exactly. The easiest way to uh, lose weight is not to stop eating the good things because that's really hard, but it's just to eat less of them because you don't get that much out of the second or third or fourth bite. We're intermittent fasters. So that. We eat less of it just in our eating window. <laughs> <laughs> you hold 11 patents. Like, tell us a little bit about some of those. One of them is on mobile queuing. So I, I invented the, the problem you, you may have used it by now. It's a process that allows you to get in a virtual line by virtually from your phone and then roam freely while you wait and then get texted or uh, called when your turn approaches or an app notification. So there's one around that. 
there are a few patterns around virtual interaction. So if you think about, you know, what we love about watching entertainment, when we go to the movies, for example, we go watch a comedy in the movies because we love to laugh together with somebody. Like I, for example, love watching comedies with my dad because I laugh laugh harder if I hear my dad laughing. Or we want to watch something romantic with our, you know, partner because we want to be together. Or if we are watching a sporting event, we like hearing the roaring of the of the fans, and you know, that the fans for our team, not for the other team. And yet all entertainment is moving online, yet entertainment online today is an extremely lonely experience, right? We, we watch mm-hmm. very right. alone. And so I own a series of patterns around how do you bring the excitement and interactivity of real life entertainment to virtual inter- interactions? You know, how do you get to watch a game online, but hear the roar of the audience that are fans of your team? How do you get to watch a movie and hear the reactions of your significant other who may be on a business trip on the other side of the globe at the time. Things like that. Fascinating. That is, that is fascinating. I never thought about that, but you're right. There are just, you know, different sensory experiences when you're live and how to bring that into a virtual event. Yeah. I never that never crossed my mind. So in twenty twenty one you were named one of the top one hundred MIT alumni. That's pretty impressive. Thank you. <laughs> so what was that honor all about? I have no idea. You would have to ask them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it wasn't like one specific thing, it was just the breadth of your work overall. Yes. Wow. That's pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive though. Thank you. I mean, to get into MIT alone, you're like the top of the top. It, and well, then it's true. Now you're like the top of the top of the top. It's a wonderful place. It is a what Cal had already been accepted to Georgia Tech. We live in Georgia, Alex. And if you live in Georgia and you have good grades, you can go to an in-state school for free. So he got to go to Georgia Tech for free. But he was like, I think I might apply to MIT. And I'm like, um, let's just go to Georgia Tech for free. <laughs> I had to talk him out of it. I totally get that. My son is doing the same thing in California, so I totally get that. Georgia Tech is a great school. I spent a summer in Atlanta. I loved it. He loved it. And he, you know, he was already accepted. And I was like, sweetie, I don't even know if you'll get into MIT. He might not have, just who knows. But <laughs> anyway, it's a great school. Yeah. I have saw um, on your website or someplace that I was looking that you um, have worked with Jack Canfield, the famous author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. How did he play a part in your becoming an author? He was a mentor. So I uh, met him through a workshop I attended that he gave. And it was really inspiring. I mean, he sold over, you know, five or 600 million books, right? So, and created, you know, sort of a whole series first. And then he had this amazing other book called The Success Principles, you know, which is a great book I recommend. When you're trying to do something new, it's always good to learn from somebody who's done something similar before or related. And it was actually his partner, Dave Harrison, who actually first suggested publishing this book for the public, because I had written it for my kids, right? So my, I had printed one copy for each of the of, of them, and that was it. And then I printed a third copy for myself, and then I heard from them, well, hey, th- this would be useful for other people. And so that's how I decided to put it out for other people. And, and it's actually been very rewarding already, because some of my, I sent, for example, an, an advanced copy to uh, one of my friends, who's a, another Caltech PhD, lives in Texas. And he's been telling me, I've been using a lot of these clues, you know, pretty frequently, and I've been giving it, giving them to others. So it's sort of becoming a, you know, something in its own right, which has been fun to watch. I love it. So tell us a little bit more about your book. You know, I love the name of it, 101 Clues to a Happy Life. Is it like just, that's the overarching principle and then everything's just, how did you select 101? I have just so many questions. So the idea for the book started a few years ago. I was thinking of going to Africa to do a Jeep tour from Cairo in Egypt to Cape Town in South Africa, all along the west coast of Africa. And as I researched it more, it's actually a pretty, there's some dangerous spots along the way, let's put it that way. There's there's some spots that you can't even cross on a road, and there's some countries that are very sketchy. And so I told myself, well, if I'm going to do this, you know, and there's any chance I might not come back, I should put up everything I would have taught my kids in a book before I go. So that's how it started. And then I sort of put it in a hole for a while, as things tend to happen sometimes. And then I, I gave myself a deadline. I said, well, when they're turning 21 and 18, you know, that's, that's now or never. And so that deadline got me to do it just in time for their birthdays. So that's how it started. 101 was really just so sort of the number I was, was approaching as I started writing the things that I wanted to tell them or teach them. 
So I think 101 was a, was a cute number, but I was getting very close to to that. So that's how it came to that. And then each one, it, that's the, the book is exactly what it sounds. It is. It's it's 101 clues. Each one is just a page. I like conciseness. So you know, each clue can be. It, it, usually, if you have a lesson, it can be. You know, if you can't express it in a page, it's you know you're doing something wrong. <laughs> Short and sweet. Exactly. As Mark Twain wrote, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I ran out of time. So if you're not, if you're making it too long, it's you're not spending the, the time. So that's what it is. And then it has uh, a lot of the clues have a cartoon that goes along with it. And then, so it's uh, there's sort of a funny aspect to it too. And did you draw the cartoons? No, I can't draw for the life of me. These are cartoons from some of the best artists, you know, the, oh, from okay. the New Yorker and, you know, lots okay. of places. I was able to license some a really great collection of cartoons. So you found the cartoons that you thought applied to each lesson and you chose them yourself. Exactly. That's fun. Yes. That does sound fun. That's a real creative thing. I would like that. So can you share with our listeners, give them some examples of some things that they're going to learn in the book. Can you do that? Sneak peek. Sure. So one, for example, is how to travel the world for free. I love that idea. Yeah, I do love that idea. So how mm. do we do it? So the the secret is you list your uh, home on Airbnb and VRBO and uh, Booking.com, and you can rent out your home, and they, it rents out at U.S. values. So, for example, if you're in Georgia, you know, a home in Atlanta is not going to be cheap. And then with that money, you can really travel like a king in many parts of the world that are a lot, lot less expensive. Okay, that makes sense. So what you're doing is, just to clarify for listeners, you are – renting your home on Airbnb, and while someone's at your home, you're traveling Yes, at the same time. Yeah. In fact, there's another website called Love Home Swap that allows you to actually swap homes. So instead of I was going to say that. I've heard of that. Yeah. So I've done that too. I actually, you can do it either at the same time to the same person's home, or you can do it for points. And so I've had people stay at my home that gives me points. And now next month, I'm headed to Bali. Wow. And I'm staying at these incredible villas with like five and six rooms and five or six staff members. And it all it's all from the points that I got from letting people stay in my place. That's fun. Wow, that is fun. Hmm. That's really <laughs> something to think about. <laughs> Side note, though, my husband doesn't travel with me. So I'd have to kick him out of the house. I'd be That's like, true. I'm traveling. You, know you have to go stay someplace there else. There you go. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm renting out the house. That's fun. Okay. One of your clues. Yeah. Clues. Yeah. Really? I was like, everybody needs to know this now, but I want to know where you get your information. Navigating a divorce if you must. Have you been through a divorce yourself or is this personal experience? Yes, I have. Okay. All right. That was something I was curious about. Yeah. And I love that you put if you must. I mean, because nobody wants a divorce, right? Oh, right. But sometimes no. it just comes to that. So, yes. and that's something that's really tricky. Some people don't even know what to start or where to go or how to begin or how to protect themselves. Yes. And there are things that really make a difference. So what I put in that clue is there's some things that I found really can make a difference. What are a few of the things? So, for example, one of them is to write up agreements as early as possible while incentives are aligned. So I'll, I'll tell you, for example, in our case, we wrote all the financial agreements while we were still trying to save the marriage. And so I had every incentive in you know, making her happy because I was trying to save the marriage. And so I pretty much agreed to most of the things she asked. We had zero disagreements about that. Why? Because we were trying to you know, work together and uh, we were, our incentives were aligned. Then custody, we did not write at the time about the kids. And we ended up dealing with only afterwards when it was clear we were going separate ways. And that ended up being, you know, initially a nightmare because by then she just cared about what, what her interests. She, she didn't care to optimize for me anymore because I wasn't part of her life anymore. And so that was harder. That's one of the, the clues is just, you know, make agreements while things, because it's something that people don't want to deal with. And so sometimes people procrastinate and like, oh, you know, we're okay. We'll deal with that later. No, if you're okay, that's exactly the time to deal with. That makes so much sense is to have a plan for resolution or dissolution while you are still feeling benevolent towards each other and not when you're in that point full of, you know, anger and rage and hurt and disappointment and where you now want to hurt the other person, because I think that's what happens a lot in marriages. So do you know, can a person 
do that preemptively and make it legal where later they can't be like, nope, I take that all back. Absolutely. It's called a post-nuptial agreement. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So a prenuptial agreement, most people have probably heard of a prenup. Prenuptial is before you get married, nuptial being the wedding part. And so a postnup is after you're already married, but you're negotiating it at that time. And it's just as legal as a prenup, but you've already, you're post the marriage. Right. I mean, another clue in that is don't hate the other person. Don't try to harm them and destroy them, right? I mean, there's a clue in the book about love after a relationship. We may not share our life with only one person, but we only share our lives with so many people. There's Mm -hmm. really no reason to hate them afterwards. You know, if things don't work out, extend your loving feelings beyond a relationship to bring peace into not only their life, but your life. Right. Well, and one of your other clues is how to deal with jealousy and fear. And I think a lot of times when divorce come up, there's often jealousy and then there's often fear. So, I mean, like if you put all those pieces together, you're going to um, proceed much more smoothly. That's right. I've been through a divorce and it is not a fun process. It's not, <laughs> so no. even if one person is like, I want to do it this way and I want to be fair and I want to be level-headed and I want to think of the kids. All it takes is the other person to not want to do it that way. And you've got a whole messy situation. So I think a post-nup is fabulous, a clue to a happy life. Now I have one of your clues is very intriguing for me and it's dump toilet paper and why it matters. I'm just so curious about that one. Because, you know, we've been talking about some serious ones. I mean, this is pretty serious, right? We use toilet paper every day, well, until we dump it. Tell us about that. Yeah, there's a great cartoon about that in the book. It's uh, one during the pandemic. So it shows somebody shopping for toilet paper during the pandemic and has a, a shopping cart full of toilet paper, you know, to the brim. Right. And then there's a guy behind him looking at him like, what are you doing? And he's just carrying a bidet seat with him. Right. I thought that's what you might be saying, a bidet. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever used a bidet, there's really no turning back. I have a tushy. I do. I have one. Yeah. yeah. The only reason people might not get them is they might think that it's expensive, but you can get a toilet seat for the, for the same amount of money it take, gets to get a jumbo pack of, of toilet paper, which runs out. I actually just redid my bathroom and I had to get a new toilet seat. And I've got a toilet seat that has a bidet built into the toilet seat. And it was like $90. Yeah. Yeah. There are some for $34. Yeah. Yeah, They're not much. I remember back in like, I don't know when it was the eighties, maybe people started building bathrooms. The fancy bathrooms of the eighties had a toilet and then a separate bidet. And I remember being like, I don't know what that is. That's weird. (laughs) I'm not going to get up from this toilet and walk over there. That, That was like that. That sounds weird. But then I saw the first bidet toilet seat that hooks on and you just hook it up to the water line that's already there and it just works. Yeah. If you've stepped on dog poop, would you clean yourself with toilet paper? Definitely not. No. So, But you're right. The one I have is a Tushy is the brand name that in case anybody was like, what is she talking about? But there's lots and lots of different ones out there. And we installed it ourselves and it was very, very easy. Sherry, did you install yours yourself? Yeah. See, I originally had one like yours that was kind of an external mounted separate one, but I had to buy a new toilet seat and I went to buy one and I saw it was all built in and I was like, that's fabulous because nothing sticks out from the toilet. It's all built in and it's nice and profiled. And I was like that I'm getting one and I I love it. It's great. Now I cannot talk my husband into using it. <laughs> Mine even comes with a seat warmer. So it's, you know, it's cool. Oh, it's fancy cool. one. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I will say if the water is cold, it's <laughs> a little shocking. It's not so refreshing. <laughs> It'll wake you up <laughs> in different parts of your body. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, that's great. So why does it matter? We just talked about what a nice experience it is. But you also had your second part of that clue is why it matters. It just is it for saving the planet or just easier costs us less money. It's all of the above. First of all, you don't kill trees. Second of all, you save money because you buy it once and you're done. But thirdly, you walk around with a clean bone. It's true. That's true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> It is a lot. It, it's it's a whole different experience. For anyone who's never used them, maybe you're like me and you remember the houses of the 80s. You're like, what's that weird thing your mom and dad have in their bathroom? You know, I don't know. But they really are amazing. They came, you're, I think they were very, very popular and common in Europe. And they didn't really quite catch on until recently here in America. Well, you know what's funny? I mean, I still look back to the toilet paper crisis of 2020 
And I'm like, is this going to go down in history? Why on earth, out of all the things that people could get worried about needing to hoard, why did it come down to toilet paper? I'm like, there's some psychology behind that. I don't know what that is. (laughs) When it snows, it's bread and milk. And apparently when there's a pandemic, it is now toilet paper. That's a great question. I'm not sure. I don't know. It was just really funny to me. I felt like I was looking at it from the outside in. I really like try to figure out what makes people tick. And I was like, why are we so obsessed with toilet paper right now? You know, like one other time in history, has there been toilet paper rationing or (laughs) hoarding? Well, we're going to be in great shape because we all have our bidets. We're great. So there's another one that really intrigued me. One of your clues, avoid the number one turnoff for people around you. Yeah. Like, I'm dying to know what that is. Well, that comes from a personal uh, story. I uh, used to work with somebody who had terrible breath. And it was just awful and such a turnoff. And it's something so hard to tell somebody that. And, you know, people don't like to, you know, it feels aggressive. It feels violent. It feels personal. So I felt like if I wrote it up in a clue, then people can all read the book. And then, you know, we, we will all be suffering less. So just, you know, you have one of those people in your life, just give them a copy of the book and they'll they'll get the hint. So how do we <laughs> avoid it? How do we avoid the bad breath? Because I think people don't know they have it, but how do we avoid it? Yeah, that is a, a great question. And by the way, I mean, th- this took some some learning for me too. I didn't always know this. And luckily I, I had the good fortune that, you know, somebody once told me, you know, and so, and so I researched and, and, and I fixed it. It's a variety of things. I think the main thing is to use, you know, a mouthwash like Listerine every day. That does wonders. Brushing your tongue helps. I, that, I was going to say that tip if you didn't say it. That's a good one. And flossing helps too. So I think it's a combination of uh, brushing uh, frequently and those three things. And, and that does it. Brushing your tongue really can make a big difference. Like if I feel like my breath might be weird. I'll just go brush my tongue with just water, just water and my toothbrush. And I think that makes a difference. Yep. So this one, I think people struggle with a lot. Prioritize what's most important to you. I think people often prioritize what they think should be the most important thing to them. So do you explain how to weed out that sort of external noise and really dial in what's important to you? My clue about prioritization talks about what I call the paradox of prioritization, which is that on the one hand, prioritizing is difficult because you have to consider every possible thing you could be doing in order to know what to prioritize. But on the other hand, prioritizing is easy because the only thing you need to decide about each of these potential things to do is, are they the top priority or not? And if they're not in the top priority, then that's it. You you don't need to know whether it's number 17 or number 23. It doesn't matter because you can only do one, two or three things at a time. That makes it easier. And so I found that for me, I can handle up to three priorities at a time. I once handled financing my company and dealing with my divorce and buying a house all at the same time. But that required dropping priorities for through it, you know, anything else beyond. And so I think that it helps when you when you start your day thinking, you know, what is the one thing I want to get done today? What is the most important thing? Or even if you're approaching a week with what what are my three top things or priorities? It allows you to sort of if some of the other things, you know, fall you can tell yourself, well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because it, it wasn't one of the top ones. One of the key things, key realizations I made at one point, you know, I think we all start off at some point with, okay, that's a to-do list. And if I don't get everything done, you know, there's something wrong. You know, I, I, there's a problem. And at some point you realize that if you're lucky enough, you get more thing, more options for what to do with your time than time you have. The sign of success is that you have some options. And let's put it in the alternative. If you had no options, it means that you have only one thing to do and you have no choice. That would be a horrible life to live, right? So so it's good that we cannot do everything we want. That means that we have options, which is the way place you want to be. Once you look at it that way, you can accept and say, oh, it's not only okay that I don't do everything I could do. It's actually good. Uh, it would be a bad thing if I had to do everything. Once you look at it that way, then you make peace with the fact that you're not going to do everything. Yes, you're going to choose what you want to prioritize. I love that. Just a simple mental switch right yeah. there. Just it's actually a good thing that I can't do. I have so many things to do. I can't do them all. That's, But you're right. If you had to do only one thing or if you didn't have any choices, that would be so boring. 
I think I kind of do that without even realizing I did it. As you guys were talking, I was thinking like, I always say, this is the week that I'm going to get my house spotless. My house is never spotless. <laughs> but in order to do that, I would have to take a week where I didn't work on the podcast or I didn't work in our online communities or like I didn't cook my husband dinner. And when I really sit down and think what's important to me, it's the podcast, not the spotless house, right? The communities fixing my <laughs> husband dinner. So the house is one of those things that when I get to it, I get to it. Mm -hmm. And I've come to peace with it. I'm like, I used to beat myself up. I talked about like external I'd be like, what are people going to think if they show up to my house and it's a wreck? And now I'm kind of like, well, I hope they think I'm really busy and I work really hard. Yeah. Yes. And if not, they can come clean it. <laughs> <laughs> there you I, go. I have a sign in my house about that. And it says something to the effect of, in this house, we live. That's the goal, not to keep it tidy. Absolutely. I am a pretty tidy person, but don't look real close in the corners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm kind of fascinated. Jen and I often say we're solar powered. We are sunshine lovers. If there's a spot of sun, you'll find us in it. You wrote a really highly publicized paper regarding sunlight and immunity. So can you share with our listeners a little lesson about how sunlight affects their immunity? Sure. And it's funny that you say that you're solar powered because that's exactly how I think of myself. One of my favorite superheroes growing up was a guy that nobody seems to know around here, but he was called Birdman, unrelated, I think, to the to the recent movie. But that, And it was a superhero who needed to climb up close to the sun to get sort of charged up and open, spread his wings. So I think of myself as Birdman, who was indeed solar powered. But to answer your question, when the pandemic broke out, I dropped everything I was doing and went back to my roots as a, as a biologist. Actually, what got my attention peaked initially was seeing the first places where the pandemic broke up. Uh, Italy. Italy. New so York. They, they were all around the same latitude. Yeah. So there was uh, initially a, a thought that maybe it had something to do with temperature. And I looked at it and I got data from a company called Solcast in Australia that had data on sunlight and all kinds of meteorological parameters for every point in the world. And so I got all that data and I correlated it with the case and death growth statistics of COVID in all kinds of different cities all over the world. And so that there was a striking correlation. The places where COVID was growing the fastest were the darkest places, not the coldest or hottest, the darkest places. And the more I looked at it, the more evidence there was that this was truly a disease of darkness. It turns out that this emerged in Wuhan on the darkest uh, winter or darkest month in all of recorded history of all the data wow. I had looking back years. When you think about it, this is a virus that emerged out of bats. Bats, of course, live in the dark. And this virus is an RNA virus. That means it's a single-stranded virus. So unlike your DNA, which is double-stranded and which is therefore more resistant to ultraviolet light, because if one strand breaks off, you can use the other strand to repair it. The virus for COVID is a single-stranded um, virus, and therefore there's no second copy to repair it if it gets damaged. And UV uh, radiation uh, from the sun damages it, the RNA. So it was able to survive in bats because they live in caves in the dark. Okay, uh, and they only come out at night. But once it moved to humans who are general animals, the sun destroys the virus. Okay, and so that's why places which have a lot of sunlight were, you know, did a lot better with COVID than uh, than places that are darker. And then as I looked at it further, it turns out that there was a, apparently a second effect. Not only does the ultraviolet radiation from the sun, when it's high enough overhead, right? So, it, you know, the sun in the horizon won't, doesn't have enough UV power to do it. But when you have the sun overhead, it will destroy the virus. But in addition to that, uh, the uh, ultraviolet radiation gets our skin to produce vitamin D. And vitamin D, it turns out, is crucial for immunity and for COVID too. COVID appears to be a disease that's almost like an autoimmune disease. The reaction that's most uh, damaging is a reaction of the body's own immune system that creates these things called cytokine storms. It's a sort of the storm of immune system produced substances that are really uh, damaging. And vitamin D stops that from happening. So this happens when you have vitamin D deficiency. Now, 
what a lot of people don't know is that there's a much bigger pandemic and much more longer lasting than COVID, which is a, a pandemic of vitamin D deficiency. Most people that live in non-tropical places are vitamin D deficient during the winter. And so that's a big part of why they get severe COVID. And so I wrote papers very early on and, you know, and literally in April of 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic saying people should weather the pandemic first in sunny places. And second of all, if they're going to stay in an unsunny places, they should be make, making sure they're not vitamin D deficient, which is really easy to do. You just take vitamin D. I mean, vitamin D are cheap pills you can get in any pharmacy over the counter and you're good. And instead, we were being told, you know, you have to stay indoors, which had a, had a reason for it. it. It was good to stay away from other people, but it was bad to stay away from the sun. What people should have been told is stay away from other people, then make sure you get your sunlight or vitamin D, which people were not getting. So we compounded already a, a pandemic of vitamin D deficiency. We made it worse by telling people to stay indoors and not go outdoors. Right. And a yeah. lot of people died unnecessarily from that. When you look at places like the Caribbean or Africa, which have much less healthcare infrastructure, they fared much better than the U.S. during the pandemic of COVID because they have more sunlight. Right. So I'm curious, as you were talking, so Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere, you know, seasons are flipped opposite. I didn't even notice at the time as the disease was spreading across, you know, nations and countries and whatever. Could you see that it was seasonal? It was seasonal. Absolutely. That was one of the predictions I wrote up back then is that this would get worse during the winter and better in the summer. And that's exactly what happened. While it was winter in the Northern Hemisphere, the Southern Hemisphere was having a better time with COVID and vice versa. Absolutely. And I can remember they're like, we're doing a better job, but it was really the sun. Yes, it was the sun. <laughs> yeah. And even now when we had, the, you know, people were talking about the variant, I mean, the variant plays a role. It was more contagious. But a big reason for why we were seeing the rise in numbers is we were in darkness. And having the vitamin D deficiency. Yeah. That's fascinating. It's very fascinating. I mean, we don't want to overdo the sun. We know that it's not good to overdo it. Just like anything, you don't want to overdrink water. That's not good for your body either. You can actually die if you have too much water. But, you know, I look at, at animals. You know, I've got cats. They follow the sun around the living room. They seek it out. My dogs are the same way. It's in our nature. When it's the first sunny day of spring, we go outside and we turn our face to the sun. So there's a place to to not be afraid of the sun. Some people are afraid of the sun now. We are sunflowers. We are designed to follow the sun. I mean, my cat, we recently lost my cat after many years. You know, she had gone, turned blind and she couldn't smell and she uh, couldn't hear. But the one sense she kept her sense of following the heat. Wow. She could find the sun. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yep. Learn from the animals around you. Yeah. So, well, and, and it just comes back to balance again. Yes, you can enjoy the sunshine. It's not all or none. And it's really best to go out and enjoy it during the peak hour, the peak vitamin D hours. And there's actually an app where you can put in your location and it helps you determine like what the most efficient time to spend in the sun is for vitamin D. So I thought that was really fascinating. The other interesting thing that emerged from those studies is at the time people were saying, as any scores, this affects the you know, minorities worse. And so African-Americans and Latinos are having it worse. And that's because minorities have it worse and they're poor. And when I looked at the data, that was not what was going on. What the data showed is that African-Americans were having a much worse effect from COVID in places where they didn't get enough sunlight. But the effect was extremely sunlight dependent. So, so African-Americans in Michigan were really suffering from COVID much worse. But African-Americans in, in Florida, you know, were having scarcely uh, just a, a little bit more of an effect than Caucasians. And Latinos, which were being lumped together with African-Americans in this analysis by the mainstream media, turns out they were actually more protected from COVID. So the, the, the fatality from COVID for Latinos is lower than that of non-Latinos. And so I put out a hypothesis. I, I have Latin roots myself. And so my hypothesis was Latinos spend more time in the sun, but I needed some data to sort of validate this hunch. And so I, you know, the beauty with, uh, there's so much science that has been done by now that usually you can find somebody who's looked at the question you want, if only you know where to look and how to ask the question, right? So I need to find data on how much time Latinos spend outdoors compared to others. And I found a paper looking at the falls of each different ethnicity. 
and they classified between falls indoors and falls outdoors. Oh. So that's what I was able to use. Okay, let's look at whether Latinos fall outdoors more than other races fall outdoors compared. And sure enough, Latinos that's fall so outdoors much more than they fall indoors compared <laughs> to other. You know, Latinos are protected and they have a lower fatality, case fatality in COVID, probably because they spend more time outdoors in the sunlight. That's such an interesting way of figuring it out because instead of like thinking all the complicated ways to measure it, you're like, well, they're, they don't fall down more outside. They just must be outside more. <laughs> that's that's a, a simple yeah. way to, to figure it out. I love that. So what's next for you? Do you have something else in the works right now? Yes. So I have started a company called Drizzit. So this came about, I was actually in the south of France in a city called Arles, which is where Van Gogh painted many of his uh, of his sunflower paintings, talking about sunflowers and paintings. And I was just thinking about drones and how I had recently bought a drone. I took my uh, son on a, a RV drive, a road trip up the Pacific coast uh, from California to Oregon. And we took a drone in and it's amazing. These are, I, I don't know if you've ever driven one. They're amazing. They're probably the most fascinating piece of machinery I've bought in, in many, many years. You can go see places you couldn't see otherwise. Like, you know, we were on the coast and there were these seals off the coast and these islands that we could drive to see them or we could go up a waterfall and see the waterfall from above. And then you press a button and the thing comes right back to where it took off from automatically. It's just incredible pieces of machinery. And, you know, they're not even that expensive anymore. And and I thought, you know, th- this is like a smartphone with wings. It can go anywhere. This is so useful, but it's more useful than a smartphone because it can go places like a smartphone can't go. I told myself, we're going to need drones everywhere because as a person I want a drone you know close to my daughter to make sure she's fine and I want to close a drone over my house to make sure my house is secure and I want a drone in Iceland to look at the volcano that's exploding you know I want drones all, all over the place and you know and I was like there's going to be drones everywhere and so that's sort of, sort of where I left it in Arl and then I came back home to California and I started holding twice a week meetings with a couple of friends and colleagues, including a, a very good technologist I've known since I was 18, who has since worked for Amazon and built all kinds of interesting things. And we were thinking, well, how is this drone ecosystem really going to evolve? And all of a sudden it hit me that what was needed was not tons of drones for each person. What was needed was a platform that allows the drones of the world to be shared by the people of the world so that anybody could fly a drone anywhere. I don't need a drone everywhere all the time, but when I want to look at a volcano in Iceland, I want to be able to have access to a, a drone there. And when I want to make sure my house is secure, I want to have access to a drone in Altadena. And when I want to make sure my daughter is fine, I want to be able to fly one around there. So what we've built is a platform that's called Drizzit. So I came up with the name of it as in drone visit, right? Okay, mm-hmm. Drizzit. Have you ever been to Greenland? No, but I've drizzited there last week. Fabulous. Wow. Okay. And so it's Drizzit, D-R-I-S-I-T.com. And it's a platform that allows you to fly a drone anywhere. So you can control a drone from your phone or from your laptop. And so people can connect their drones to the network. You know, it's just like you can put your, your home on Airbnb or on VRBO. And so you say, you know, hey, I'm not using my drone right now. I'll just connect it. Uh, you know, all you do is you give it, you know, electricity and internet access. And then you start getting paid for letting people use wow. your drone. Wow. I love I'm it. I'm thinking of the cities that have the little scooters that you rent. Right, right. Like, it's kind of exactly. like that. It's part of the, that same sharing economy, yes. Okay. Awesome. Well, I have really enjoyed talking to you, Alex. So many different ideas. And I, like I said, I love scientists and creative ideas. And, and your book sounds fabulous. So tell listeners where they can connect with you and how to find your book. Sure. So they can find it at 101clues.com and they can sign up there to be notified when it releases in the next few weeks. And, and when it, once it's out and launches, it'll be available on Amazon and every place that people buy books. Perfect. All right, great. Well, thank you for coming on and talking with us today. Thank you, Jen and Sherry. I really enjoyed a great interview. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to invite you to the Life Lessons VIP community on Circle. Not only can you interact with me and Sherry in a private online community, you can connect with other listeners and community members. Sherry is hosting monthly Zoom hangouts where you can connect and talk. You can join by going to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. 
choose your monthly membership contribution of $4.99 or $9.99, and you can change to a different tier at the end of any month by simply managing your subscription within the platform. Choose the option that feels like the right value to you. And if you truly get value from the podcast each week, we would love for you to choose the higher package. It helps us support the work we do on the podcast and the costs associated with it. I'm kind of keeping track of a number of memberships that we have and how supporting the podcast. And we're up to between two and three episodes a month are funded now. So I'll be able to really relax when we get to four, right? <laughs> yes. When we get to the point that the the VIP community is supporting four episodes per month, then we can just be like, okay, we don't have to worry about production costs anymore. So right. everyone, we would love to have you there. There's not a lot of activity. It's a very small group, but you are really supporting the podcast. So even if you're like, yeah, I don't want another community. I'm already, maybe you're on the Facebook community and you don't need another community or something else to check in on, think about this as like a Patreon alternative, right? but with with Circle. But if you want to have more, you can. You can go in there and go to the Ask Jen section. It's there if you want it, and I would love to connect with everybody there. Me too. If you go to the, there's an Ask Jen. You can go in anytime and type in any question to me and ask Jen, and I will answer it. And the same with Sherry, but that's only for the VIP members, so... All right, so next we have a segment we call our listener-led lesson. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Zoraida. She says, hello, Jen and Sherry. I had to share this life hack courtesy of my husband. I have lived in Southern California all my life and never thought of this. We live in a house that has a neighboring pine tree and pepper tree that drops leaves like crazy. It would have been a pain to sweep up, but my husband ordered a snow shovel when we first moved in. What? Why? The snow shovel will be a giant dustpan. It was brilliant on his part. Don't tell him I said that. Spring is right around the corner. The weather is warming up, and I love to be outside. We're bringing out our outdoor furniture, and as we are cleaning up the leaves, I realized I need to share this life hack. I can't imagine what the Home Depot Fulfillment Center thought as they prepped a snow shovel to be sent to Southern California. Ha, ha, ha. I hope this can help others. I love it. And she said, and by the way, I used Branch Basics to clean the outdoor furniture, and it did an amazing job. I wish I took a before and after picture. Thanks for the clean suggestion. Have an amazing day, and thank you both for your terrific podcast. And thank you for saying that because it doesn't have to be expensive, dangerous, or complicated to get your stuff clean. It can be safe. Like Branch Basics. Yep. Well, at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. Today's quote comes from Laura in Canada, and it's really quite simple but so profound. The quote is, you don't have to be perfect to be loved. That's great. No one expects you to be perfect anyway. No, perfect is an illusion. If anybody expects you to be perfect, they're not right. Yep, (laughs) for you. So don't expect it of yourself, I guess, is the second part of that. So listeners, thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to join us in the new Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to be a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 a month. Your support ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and we would love for you to leave a review so that we can reach others. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you want to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.